Good afternoon, and welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Stephanie Tidwell, Executive Director of Friends of the Eel River. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU and the North Coast Environmental Center. Don't forget, you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives at khsu.org. My guest today is Scott Greeson, also of Friends of the Eel River. Welcome to the Eco News Report, Scott. Thanks, Steph. It's fun to be on the other end of the microphone here. We switch it up sometimes. So what we wanted to talk about today is, is I would say kind of broadly, it's, it's infrastructure and how it's increasingly apparent that our aging and frankly failing infrastructure threatens our safety and future health. And You're talking about our roads? Nope. <laughs> we're talking about dams and railroads. Right. And specifically what we're talking about is there's been some, some pretty significant developments in Sacramento that are portentous not only at a statewide level, but especially for our local region. And so today we wanted to talk about two of these issues. One, statewide laws to address dam safety, and two, Senator McGuire's Great Redwood Trail Act. So jumping right in on dam safety. After the near collapse of the Orville Dam, safety experts from all over convened and recommended some pretty big changes to state and federal dam safety programs. Yeah. And, you know, remembering that the Orville Dam didn't collapse, but came really, really close because the emergency spillway wasn't able to handle the the flows that it was supposed to be able to handle. You know, we almost lost that dam, which holds, I think it's the tallest dam in California, holds a tremendous amount of water. And there were hundreds of thousands of people evacuated out from under that dam. And so it, I think, made clear to policymakers and the regulators that the processes we've been using to assure ourselves of the safety of, of our dams may not be up to snuff because Oroville had been inspected the year before it failed. And the engineers who inspected it found absolutely no signs of the problems that the later reports say they should have been able to find. So part of the question is, are we looking for the right things? And and how are we doing it? And so you know, clearly the outcomes of this analysis from, from these experts show that there were problems. And you want to talk a little about what, what came next? Yeah. So there are a couple of different efforts, one of which was led by a professor from UC Berkeley named Bob B., B-E-A. He runs a thing called the Center for Catastrophic Risk Management at the UC Berkeley. And he talked about a number of specific problems with the Oroville Dam. But then he also talked about what he calls the root causes of these failures and said something that I think is, is really on point, that his experience looking at the previous failures of public infrastructure systems, i.e. the failure of New Orleans hurricane flood production systems during Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, leads him to the conclusion that it's likely, and I'm quoting here, that the wrong standards and guidelines are being used to requalify many critical infrastructure systems for continued service. And he said 
the majority of these standards and guidelines were intended for design, not for requalification or reassessment of existing aged infrastructure systems that have experienced aging or technological obsolescence and increased risk of failure. So his point is that, you know, the by analogy, that like the standards you use to assess the health and fitness of a teenager aren't really the ones that are appropriate for a 65-year-old or a 75-year-old. And we really need to update our standards for looking at aging infrastructure where there's a higher risk of failure. And we may not have actually caught an original defect. And we need to go back and look at those things. And so our decision makers have been listening and absorbing this stuff as, as well as acting on it. So do we want to talk a little more about, I know the governor came up with a plan and there were two bills recently passed. Right. So the governor came out with what he called a four-point plan to bolster dam safety and flood protection, which included basically a set of, of pretty straightforward, obvious things we need to do to require better emergency planning and to invest a bunch of money in flood control ability. The second point was to require all dams have what the bigger and more dangerous dams already have, which is emergency action plans and flood inundation maps. And those tell you basically where the problems are going to be downstream of the dams and what the dam owners and other emergency services people are prepared to do if a dam fails. Those are pretty important if you're going to have a way to deal with a a dam problem. More to the, the question of how we ensure the safety, though, is Governor Brown said we need to enhance California's existing dam inspection program. And the question is, well, what does that mean? You know, how, how much more inspection are we going to do? How are we going to change these standards that Bob B. was talking about? His fourth point was to ask for more regulatory action and more money from the federal government to improve dam safety. Well, that's a good hope, but that requires congressional action. So these are kind of some top tier plans that, that came out of the governor's office and, you know, Next come the the state bills, which more codify how we do this. So we've had two bills. SB 92 was a Senate bill that did most of the basic things the governor outlined. It required the emergency action plans and the flood inundation maps. It did improve some of the dam inspection work and some of the emergency response actions. But it was really the second bill, AB 1270, ironically offered by a bunch of Republicans from the Sierras, which actually went further in changing California's dam safety inspection system. And it's really moving in the right direction, I think. AB 1270 was sponsored by Assemblyman James Gallagher. It's been signed into law by Jerry Brown. And because it's in an urgency bill, it goes into effect immediately. The bill basically requires that any dam which could potentially cause the loss of a human life if it fails, and that's the definition of a, quote, high hazard dam, be inspected at least every year. It would make dam inspection reports public records subject to the California Public Records Act, which is important. It would give us additional information about dam safety issues. It wouldn't go as far as some of us would like in terms of making all of that information public because it would still withhold information that might disclose a dam's vulnerability or pose a security threat in the language of the bill. 
let's talk a little bit more about this yeah. because this is something I was frankly pretty shocked to hear is that due to you know federal terrorist law we as a public aren't allowed to have a public dialogue that is informed by real life data about the safety of these dams right and this is a provision of federal law as i understand it under the patriot act that was passed after the terrorist attacks of september 9th 2001 and basically what it does is set out a category of information for not just dams but anything involved with energy the energy grid energy production and it, it's called ceii short for critical energy infrastructure information. And the basic idea is that if that's information that somebody could use to damage the grid, to to damage the nation's electrical supply, if it could make something an easier terrorist target, then the company's not supposed to disclose it. And so the problem that, that creates for those of us who are looking at aging and possibly failing dams like Scott Dam, the upper dam on the main stem eel that we'd like to see removed, means that there's a whole bunch of information that the dam owner, Pacific Gas and Electric, has been producing that should inform our understanding of how safe that dam is, whether it needs additional inspection, whether it has deep problems from the way it was built, that the company's been talking to federal regulators about for at least the last 20 years, we can see the record of their communications, but we can't see the content of that communications. And so when the company and the federal government say, we assure you that that dam's safe because we've inspected it, you know, constantly with appropriate standards, we say those are the same standards you used at Oroville. And they didn't find the obvious problems that almost cost us the dam. We're we're really concerned that some of these CEII documents contain information that will show that the dams that that Scott Dam's not safe, but we can't look at it. In the interim, while we're stuck in this position where we can't get information about our safeties community out of the federal government, these new bills from California are are providing some measure of increased evaluation, at least involved. Yeah, we're going to get more information. We're not going to get all of that information, but at least it starts to make some of that information available under the California Public Records Act. And, you know, there's there's obviously going to be some need to balance these questions. You don't want to just publish the blueprints for all of California's dam on the Internet. You know, that that's not a great idea. But we do need, as a public and as people are concerned with, you know, the the future reliability of dams, we need to be able to look at these questions and, and look at the facts. You know, was Scott Dam built in a way that, you know, can provide us with real assurance that it's still going to be there in 50 years? Or is it really eerily similar to the St. Francis Dam that collapsed in 1928 and killed 400 people, you know? Well, let's talk about what we do know on that and how how this legislation can provide us with at least more knowledge of the risk associated with these dams as we go into this relicensing process. Okay. Is Scott Dam safe? Well, we've got a lot of reason to think that it's not. Scott Dam was built in 1920 
and it was originally intended to go straight across the river and connect to a big piece of what they thought was bedrock sticking out of the south side of the Eel River Canyon. About halfway through dam construction in the winter of 1922, there was a big flood, and that big piece of bedrock moved. It shifted. And it obviously, at that point, was not bedrock, but a very, very large boulder. At that point, the dam builders changed the design of the dam and put a bend in it to go in front of that big boulder. It's worked so far. But we are concerned both by that boulder, which continues to shift, and by the whole slope above the dam to the south, which is not very stable. And like a lot of steep slopes in this part of the country, you can see just by looking at the slope, it's one of those clay slides, that it's not a really stable piece of ground. So we've got a dam attached to a slope that's not very stable. On top of a fault line. Well, and that's where we get to the next bit, which is that there is a very substantial fault about a mile from Scott Dam. And it turns out that it's not all that uncommon, actually, that really great dam sites are pretty close to faults because those are places where river canyons kind of get kinked and they get tighter and it's easier to build a dam there, if you think about it. That's That makes them look like good dam sites until you start doing the geology and figuring out where the, the earthquake faults are. So we have been assured by PG&E and by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that Scott Dam is safe up to a given level of earthquake. But we don't know why they think that. And frankly, we have reason to believe that, you know, those assurances are a little hollow. We also don't know if that's the maximum earthquake that that fault can produce. If a shake of something greater than level four or five happens, you know, if we get a a six or a seven on that fault, what happens to the dam? And the answer is we don't know. But we have a lot of reason to believe it might fail or the slope above the dam might fail. And so I know these are new bills that are just going into to practice. Just law, yeah. So thus far, you know, how do you see their implementation you know, helping us further ascertain whether these dams need to stay or go? What, what new tools does this really provide? Well, when we're talking about the second bill, the one that's just gone into effect, AB 1270, it really does ask the right questions because it says it it clearly calls out this question of aging infrastructure and the need to look at new standards. It says California's standards have to stay at the best available science level. We've got to stay abreast of any developments anywhere in the world. And it it clearly calls on the part of state government that handles these questions, the division of safety of dams, to basically do everything it can to get really, really good at this. But I think that there's an open question about how well is the state going to implement this. And at the end of the law, it says it is important that dam inspection and reevaluation protocols are updated as soon as possible in order to ensure updated best practices that could help identify other dams with shortcomings that threaten public safety. And I would submit that we've got a really good test case here in the eel. Scott Dam 
if the new procedures raise red flags about Scott Dam, then I think we probably were on roughly the right track. If the new procedures say Scott Dam's fine and they don't tell us why, then I think we know that we're still in a situation where we're not actually assessing the real hazards. And you just raised another question for me. Is the information the state gathers available to the public or is it subject to this CEII classification as well? We'll see. But so far under AB 1270, it looks like most of that information is going to be available under the California Public Records Act. And the okay, the question is going to be, If it discloses a dam's vulnerability or poses a security threat, then no, we won't be able to see it. But I don't know how we talk about the safety of a dam like Scott Dam, its vulnerability to earthquake threats, without disclosing a dam's vulnerability. That that seems to me a basic problem. So terrorists don't deploy earthquakes, so maybe we can talk about earthquake safety. Seems reasonable to me. Well, we'll keep the KHSU listening community informed as issues further develop. And in the meantime, I'd like to move on to talking about another portentous piece of legislation coming out of Sacramento. And that is Senator McGuire's new Great Redwood Trail Act. And Briefly, to to bring folks up to speed, this is a new bill, Senate Bill 1029, that seeks to simultaneously resolve the longstanding issues posed by the North Coast Railroad Authority and its failing rail line and to expand trail and sustainable recreational opportunities for the region. And I know that I probably just jumped the gun and told you some of the stuff that Scott should be saying. (laughs) But perhaps, Scott, you can tell us a little bit about, number one, the reason this bill was necessary. Well, the reason the bill is necessary is that the NCRA, the North Coast Railroad Authority, has been a unbelievably badly mismanaged agency, recklessly mismanaged agency for the last 20 years. It's managed to turn a failed rail line into a failed rail line and a pile of debt. It has not managed to reopen the failed rail line or to deal with the really consequential environmental problems that the railroad created itself and that the NCRA was left with when it bought the rail line and and took it over as a public asset in the 1990s. And again, briefly, if you could tell us specifically what those environmental problems are, particularly within you know the area that I'm passionate about, the Eel River Canyon. Yeah, there are several different classes of environmental hazards, basically, associated with the railroad. The big killer one is toxic hotspots. There are places on the rail line where engines, locomotives were serviced, and there are toxic chemicals just that were left on site and never cleaned up. There are also a number of places along the line where there are smaller amounts of toxic chemicals. And in a way, you can look at just every single creosote-soaked tie as its own little toxic hotspot. All of those need to be cleaned up. There are another category of problems, though, that are sort of geotechnical problems that are landslides, it's collapsed tunnels, and it's blocked fish passage. And 
folks who have been listening to the show for years will have heard some of our shows talking about efforts to restore fish passage to places like Woodman Creek. Those are places where the construction of the railroad a hundred and some years ago in the early 1900s, 1908 and so, actually blocked those creeks. And we are only now today restoring access to those creeks. So all of those are problems that the NCRA not only knew about, but actually agreed to fix in 1997 and has not done anything to really deal with since, except allowing Caltrout to fix some of these fish passage problems. So we really need to see those toxic hotspots cleaned up. We really need to see the failing tunnels and the serious severe landslides dealt with as a, a real first priority. And those are those are a big piece of just taking care of the eel, which is really our first priority. So there's a part of this bill which is killing off the NCRA, which is really, from my perspective, a, an important thing to do. This is a bad agency that has not performed well and deserves the death penalty it's getting. It kind of did it to itself. Yeah. and But it's not clear at this point exactly how we're going to get the money and exactly how we're going to get the cleanup done. We're kind of taking it on faith that that's where this is going. But what the bill really does is say, basically, the answer A, you're out of business, you're going to be done on the south end, and we're going to turn over the freight shipping to somebody else. And from Willits North, you're going to be done, and we're going to turn over that right-of-way, the rail right-of-way, to a new agency called the Great Redwood Trail Agency. And the idea here is we're going to look at turning the the rail right-of-way into a rail-banked hiking and biking and equestrian trail. There are a lot of questions about how much that's going to cost, how it's going to work, but there seems to be a lot of energy to move in that direction. And frankly, you know, from... I think our perspective inside Friends of the Eel, it's not entirely clear how we feel about this thing yet because we haven't seen it yet. And it's a work in progress. Understanding the first committee hearing for it is next week. Right. That's the first committee hearing for the bill. And then we'll see hopefully a few more committee hearings if the bill doesn't get killed. But if the bill goes through in its current form, we basically see a couple of years in which the NCRA would be winding up its affairs. It would then turn over the, the north end from Willits to Humboldt Bay over to this new agency. And you know, there, there's then, I think, a big set of questions about what is it we can hope to get in terms of a functional trail? Where can we hope to get it? And above all, how much is it going to cost to do that in a way that doesn't impair the Eel River and its watershed and its fisheries? That's really the bottom line for us. And we're, we're not talking about an insignificant number of miles of of track you know there's not just the 60 miles of the Ill river canyon right there's the area north too and we've seen a, a lot of energy and excitement around eureka and arcata as the trail development is happening here you know unfortunately due to prior agreements that was alongside the rail line at significant additional expense about four times what it would have cost to do it instead of the rail but, yeah you know, my hope and and i'm 
assuming part of the intent here moving forward with this legislation is that this would help us prioritize the type of sustainable transportation and recreation that people of this region increasingly want to see and are excited about. Yeah. And, you know, the the Coastal Trail is now the county's top transportation priority. And really, if you, if you look at the way the bill's written right now, what it proposes to do is basically commit the section from Willits through the Eel River Canyon to a trail, but from roughly Scotia North, it leaves open the possibility that that segment could be used for rail use, either for freight rail or for excursion trains. But it says only to the extent that it doesn't interfere with the priority use of the right of way as a trail. And that seems to me about right. You know, I'm not at all hopeful about the prospects for excursion trains around Humboldt Bay, I think economically wildly impracticable. And they're impracticable because, frankly, there's no real prospect for a functioning freight rail operation on the north end. There's nobody to ship to. There's nobody who wants to ship anything. So honestly, I don't think that that's really going to happen. But to the extent someone here thinks that's vitally important for our economic well-being, well, let them show how they're going to use it. And the bill's very clear that they can have access to that right away to run a train. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and use it so our kids have a safe place to ride their bikes. And I think that's that's the decision we need to make today is we've had now 30 years of this rail line sitting defunct, no good for anyone. Let's turn it into something good. So we're moving in the right direction. I think so. I think there's still a lot of big questions about how we build a trail on that public right-of-way through the Oliver Canyon. I'm not sure we're going to actually get there to one that really is kind of the dream I've always had of a trail that I could ride my bike on all the way to Willits, but we might be able to. And the leadership that I see emerging on the question is the kind of people you're going to need to get there. So that's that's part of what I see as hopeful here is that Senator McGuire and some of the folks who stepped forward from Sonoma County on this question are really the kind of folks who could make it happen. Well, keep us all informed as the situation develops. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today. So we'll be signing off now. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Stephanie Tidwell, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Scott Greeson of Friends of the Eel River. If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. You can hear this broadcast again on the archive programs page of the station's website at khsu.org. Tune in again next week at the same time for the Eco News Report. <laughs>